turn in your Bible with me to um, Matthew chapter 11. And if you notice when you come into the chapel tonight and here in the stage how uh, beautifully decorated the church is. And the, the people that do that, they do such a great job. But I, without my glasses, I glanced over this wall tonight and thought, is that a new climbing wall? <laughs> it looks like one of those climbing walls, you know, where they have those... You put your foot and you take the next step up. And I thought, why would they do that in church? But then I put my glasses on and said, oh, it's a climbing wall. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. It's just a strange way that I have of looking at things. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. By the way, my, my daughter told me, um, you know, it, she called me a little while ago. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm on my way to church. She goes, you can't go to church. I said, why? She says, you have a cold. And, and I said, yeah. And she said, well, you're going to give it to everybody. And I said, well, isn't that what it means to be a Christian? That you share everything with others? So come on up afterwards. I'll give you a nice hug. Give you something to take home. No, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of at the end of a, of a cold. I think I, uh, <laughs> I gave it to all the basketball players last night in New York during the chapel service. <laughs> Unfortunately, I only gave an embrace to the other, the other team. <laughs> when it came to the Knicks, I gave them a little fist bump. I said, not feeling good. But no, it, and we killed them, so it was great. Um, Matthew chapter 11. Um, you, you know this verse because this was, the invitation that all of us first received when we came to Christ. And in that 11th chapter, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I remember receiving Christ, um, you know, several decades ago. And I remember those words very clearly because that's how the gospel was shared with me, through an invitation like this in Matthew chapter 11. And I heard the word rest twice in those verses. And I knew in my heart that's exactly what I needed because... I was like, you know, the prophet Isaiah, <laughs> he said, he described the wicked, which I was at that time. All of us were before Christ. And he described the wicked in Isaiah, the 57th chapter this way. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And, it was, and that was a description of my life, of my heart. And I remember hearing these words as if, just as if Jesus himself were speaking to me and saying, come to me, I'll give you rest, the rest that your heart longs for, the rest that you're, you're looking for and searching after. And that moment when, when we came to Christ, do you remember that moment um, when the burdens were lifted? Because that's what it was like. It was almost as if I was carrying so much that I didn't even realize I was carrying uh, in my heart. Not, not on, my, on my shoulders, but in my heart. 
And it was like all those burdens were lifted off in a moment when I invited Christ to come into my heart. You say, well, what were the burdens? Guilt, shame, a past that I couldn't shake, uh, a reputation, in some cases for some of us, that people would never let us forget. Uh, maybe just a moment of failure that's happened in our lives that the devil takes advantage of and tries to turn it into a monument that's erected to that failure, just so that we'll never forget it, just so that it looms greatly in our hearts, in our minds. And it's almost as if even when we see light at the end of the tunnel, he reminds us of what we've done and kind of resurrects that past, brings it before us. And we realized, I think, I know I did, that this is no way to get through life, especially when we know this now, but especially when we have a Savior. And, and that's what, of course, getting ready to celebrate, that God sent his Son into the world. And what the world needed, God provided through his Son, a Savior. You know, we, we don't need to, people say it all the time, I need to get my act together. I need to straighten my life out. You know, I need to make some changes. I'm, I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve because then I can make some new vows and some new promises and some new resolutions. But none of that is necessary. What people need is a Savior. And that is exactly what we have in Christ. And he came to do just that, to remove the burdens and to replace the burdens with what? Forgiveness. With forgiveness. You know, when I I travel, um, I, I, I don't pack very well because I don't know what it is. I always take way too much for me, right? And I, I know that some of you may be like that. You might, want to, you might not want to admit it, but, you know, and, and always the bags are too heavy, and I have too many of them. And I, and I always used to I travel with one friend of mine, and every time um, he, we would get to the airport, he would always ask me, uh, do you have your just-in-case bag? And I, look, I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, just in case something happens, just in case they lose your luggage, or just in case, you know, you have to do something different. You've got that just-in-case bag. And, and, of course, I had to admit when he asked me, I said, well, yeah, I do. He says, why? I said, isn't it obvious? Just in case. <laughs> just in case. And I, because I think I might need those things. And I usually don't. And I usually don't even get through half of what I bring. And I ask myself afterwards, why did you bring all that stuff? And then sometimes I say, well, next time it's going to change. And next time it never changes. It's always the same. I just keep thinking, what, just, what if something, you know. But we, we have a tendency to do that in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We, we, we carry bags that, from yesterday, so to speak. Uh, bags of regret. Bags of fear, anxiety, right? Uh, something that we just can't shake from our past, that we wish we could, but we carry it. And maybe we don't even consciously carry it. Maybe subconsciously we carry it. You know, I often think of the woman at the well with Jesus in John chapter 4. You remember as Jesus struck up the conversation with her, he asked her at one point to go and get her husband. And she says, I don't have one. And then he said, I know you don't. 
You've had five husbands. The man you're living with doesn't want to put a ring on your finger. And she immediately said, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then when, when, when the conversation was finished, Christ revealed himself to her. She went into town and she said to the townspeople, remember what she said? She said, come and meet a man who told me what? Everything about my life. Now, did Jesus really tell her everything? The answer was no. But I think that she had taken so much energy, whether it was conscious or unconscious, to cover up that one part of her life that when Jesus revealed it to her, and not to condemn her, but to release her from that burden, it was like it was lifted from her. So much so that she said, come and meet a man who told me everything about myself. We can't, and we were not made to carry the burdens of guilt and shame in our lives. And what does it take? What did it take in our lives? Didn't it take a revelation of righteousness? What's a revelation of righteousness? Well, we know that the word revelation means you pull back the veil. We all needed an understanding of what righteousness was because we didn't have it. I certainly didn't have it in my life. I mean, did we... From you know, once in a while, do that which was right. Do we occasionally do that which is right? Yeah. Some people, maybe they predominantly do that which is right. But do any of us always do that which is right? The answer is no. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, no one is completely righteous, not even one of us. And in God's economy, think about it, there's no room for a relative righteousness, which is what I used to have. If somebody asked me, you know, are you good enough to go to heaven? I would immediately point out how bad other people were and then compared myself to them and said, relatively speaking, I think I'm a righteous person. But in God's economy, there is no such a thing as, as relative righteousness. When it comes to righteousness, God himself is the standard. It's like when it comes to righteousness, God points to himself and says, this is what I mean when I say righteousness. In fact, the Bible says that God is not only righteous, but his decrees are righteous in Romans chapter 1, verse 32. His judgments are righteous in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. His requirements of people are righteous, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. And his acts in Daniel chapter 9, verse 16 are all righteous. He's right in everything that he does. And when it comes to righteousness, God runs the table. But when it comes to righteousness for us, we're clueless. We don't have it. I mean, we're not even close to it. And think about it. If you're going to go to God's party, if you're going to show up at his supper, guess what you have to have? Righteousness. For every seat at that table is reserved only for those that are righteous. And we needed a revelation of righteousness. I mean, how are we going to get it? It's just not possible. The, the gulf that's fixed between sinful men and a holy, righteous God was so great that the chasm was so deep that none of us could ever get to the other side. And it's, that's when Jesus stood up in heaven. And pleaded with his father and said, Father, punish me for their sins. Give me the penalty for their transgressions. I'll take their guilt. I'll take their shame. 
treat me, Father, like you would treat the sinner. And God did at Calvary. And 1 Peter 3.18 says just that. It says, on the cross, the just one took the place of the unjust ones. Christ lifted up on Calvary's cross to bear our sins so that we would not have to carry the burden of guilt, shame, fear, anxiety. We could be free from it. And through the cross, think about this, through the cross, God now has a way to make people righteous, but it's through faith in Christ alone. You see, you don't get a seat at his table without a perfect righteousness. And, and Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. So when God looks at us, imagine this, he sees the righteousness of his own son. That is just incredible when you think about it. That means all of the baggage that we once carried, we can put it down. No need to pick it up ever again. Because it only weighs us down. And I think sometimes what we have a tendency to do, even after we've responded to the invitation of Jesus at salvation, somewhere along the way, we pick up those bags again. We pick up the guilt. We pick up the shame. The devil reminds us of our past, and we start to think about it. We start to maybe subconsciously build that monument uh, toward our failure when God says that he's put it away from us as far as the east is from the west. But the good news is, as we continue the journey, we have this amazing promise. Psalm 23, verse 6. You're familiar with the, the shepherd psalm, starting out by telling us the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. But then it ends with this last verse. And you know what it says. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. Now, some of the other translations, listen to them, says this, goodness and love unfailing. Goodness and love will be with me all my life, and your house will be my house forever. Another translation, your goodness and love chase after me every day of my life. Another one, goodness, mercy, every day dwelling in God's house. I mean, it sounds like goodness and mercy are like God's SWAT team that just kind of, you know, they just kind of come into our lives and, and out of nowhere. You know, have you ever seen an image of the SWAT team doing their job? They come from above, the people that they're after, the criminals that they're trying to catch. They have no idea. Out of nowhere, it seems like out of thin air, they come crashing through the windows or breaking through the door or up from underneath, and they just swarm the people that they're after. That's the nature of goodness and mercy in our lives. Because if Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is, then you know that goodness and mercy are his sheepdogs. And they will pursue us. They will come after us. And I love what it says here in verse 6, the first verse. It says, surely. Now, now just think about that word. Surely. That carries the idea of, of a great sense of confidence. And by the way, it doesn't mean maybe. Imagine if God said, now that you're saved and now that you're a child of mine, maybe goodness and mercy will come after you. It's a possibility. Or I have a hunch that it could happen. 
No, no such language. God says in a, in a, in a profound way, certainly, absolutely, count on this. Because after all, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Acts chapter 13, verse 34, the sure mercies of David. That's God's promise for us. Not a possibility, not a hunch, not a chance, not maybe, not if you measure up, not if you're good enough, not if you deserve it, but absolutely count on it. Put your utter faith and confidence in this promise. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That great thought followed by what the Apostle James said when he described God in James chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to the way he describes God. He says, God is the one with whom there is never the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. I like that. Not even the slightest variation. In other words, there is no changing with God. He is immutable in his character. He is unchanging. My moods and your moods, they may shift, but God never changes. Our minds change all the time, but God never changes his mind the way he thinks about us. Our devotion can waver and falter and be inconsistent, but God's love and God's grace and God's mercy never falters, never wavers, and you will never find, even as James says, uh, the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. So much so that God even goes so this, he goes this far to give us a promise that even if we are, and we all have to admit there have been moments in our lives where we have been faithless. Amen. It's happened. But even then, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, when we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny the unconditional nature of the covenant that he's entered into with us. Because of his promise. He is a sure God that promises sure mercies and gives us the hope that goodness and mercy, they're going to be there every step of the way. And then look at what follows that word surely. Goodness, mercy. And God knows that we need them both. It's the goodness of God, isn't it, that that brings us to a place when it's necessary to change our minds Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it's the goodness of God. It's not the threat. You know, God has never brought me to a place where I want to yield my life to him because he has threatened me. Imagine if he said, you know, he really wanted utter and complete devotion from our lives. Imagine if he said, listen, this is how I'm going to get it. You're going to be completely devoted to me or I'm taking your name out of the book of life. Oh, that might motivate us for a period of time. Fear might get the job done for a short amount of time, but inevitably we would just throw the towel in. We would say, I can't do it. It's not possible. But God never makes that kind of a promise. He says, it's with absolute certainty that you can trust what I have to say. It's the same confidence that the Apostle Paul spoke about when he was persuaded. Remember in Romans chapter 8, verses 39, 38 and 39? He was what? Persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like persuasion? Does that sound like confidence? Does that sound like certainty? 
It's, it's the same way as Jesus. If you used to read, we all used to read our King James Bible, and we would always come across Jesus saying these words, Verily, verily, I say unto you. First time I read that, I was like, what is a verily? But what it was, Jesus was saying, essentially, listen, I'm telling you something that is absolutely true. It is highly certain. It is eternally established. And it is totally factual. You can take it to the bank. That's what he was saying. You can count on what I'm telling you. In the same way the psalmist says, listen, you started out with God taking those burdens and lifting them off of you. And, and instead of giving you the burdens of guilt and shame and fear and worry and anxiety, no, he's given you forgiveness. He's given you rest. He's given you peace. And he's never going to allow those things to come back into your life. Don't pick them up again. Just keep walking with him because you have this certainty that goodness and mercy are going to be there every step of the way. It's like Job saying what? Job in, in Job chapter 19 verse 25. What did he say? Listen, I may know, I may not know a lot about what's happening in my life right now. I may not really understand why these friends have come to counsel me and they are all like physicians of no value, he called them. I may not really understand what's happened to me or my family or my life, but I'll tell you this, I know this, I know my Redeemer lives. He could say it with confidence. And we should say the same thing. It's like the Apostle John writing his epistle in 1 John 5, 13 and 14 and saying, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you might have confidence as you navigate your way through life, even when the storms begin to rage. It's like Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 21, saying that he was what? Fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform. Think about it. Those words, persuaded, convinced, I know, I'm confident, it's certain, surely, certainly, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness to supply every need. Mercy to forgive every sin. Goodness to provide for us. Mercy to pardon for us. We need them both. Goodness and mercy, the escorts of God's flock. And if that doesn't reinforce our faith, how about the next words? What does it say? All the days of our lives. What kind of days do you suppose we'll face? Then just line up the adjectives, right? Long days, hard days, difficult days, perilous days, dark days, exhausting days, days when we get tragic news, days when our heart breaks, days when relationships break up, days when a family breaks down, all kinds of days, days at home, if you're a young mother with toddlers, uh, days at a dead-end job that you wish you could find a way out of, days of loneliness, days of sickness, days of illness, days of disease. But what's the promise of God? All of those days, there will not be some exception to that promise. There will not be some days that will, that will not fit into that promise. Goodness and mercy will be there all the days of your life. 
And they will follow you. They will pursue you. They will chase after you. They will hunt you down. And goodness and mercy will finally catch up with you. And they will carry you through the day. It's his promise. I think that that truth is as old as the book of Genesis. Wouldn't you agree? You think about it. You open in the book of Genesis. God makes man. And they're in the garden. And they sin. What happens? They hide. And God speaks, Adam, where are you? Well, how did Adam hear that question? Because God was following him. Goodness and mercy were in the garden, in the presence of the heart of God. Moses can tell you about goodness and mercy. Forty years in the wilderness, what did God do? He followed him into the wilderness. Jonah, the fugitive on the boat. That's not a storm brewing out there, Jonah. That's God. And that's not a giant fish. That's God waiting for you. That's goodness and mercy ready to reveal themselves to you in the belly of that great fish. The disciples in the boat, in the storm, in the Gospels, look who is following them into the storm. That's not a ghost. That's Jesus himself. The Samaritan woman who we mentioned a few moments ago. You're not alone in life. Jesus followed her to that well. I love the best part of that story in my heart is John chapter 4, verse 4, when Jesus said to his disciples, as they were going out to get some food, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. I must go there. There is a woman there whose burden is so great, whose guilt is, is, is so overwhelming that I have to lift it. And I'll meet her. And I'll speak with her. And I'll provide for her the rest that her heart longs for. And goodness and mercy would find her at that well. The Apostle John, even when he was exiled to Patmos, Jesus followed him into exile. Even Lazarus, three days in the tomb. Guess what? Jesus followed him into death and brought him forth into resurrection life. Peter denied the Lord, went back fishing. You could say to Peter, look over your shoulder the next day on the beach. That's Jesus preparing a meal for you. It's God always active, always pursuing, never quitting, never giving up on us. We can give up on him. He will never give up on us. We can change our mind about the way we want our faith to navigate through this life, but he will never change his mind. And even if we really, we kind of got out there in life, and God forbid that that would happen, but if it did, the one thing you could count on, that you could be certain of, that you should be, swayed, be persuaded about, convinced of totally, that goodness and mercy will find you. They will hunt you down. In closing, I read the story about a shepherd. He had a flock. It was a gentleman who was responsible for another person's flocks. And there were hundreds and hundreds of sheep. And, and he had this one, one wonderful sheepdog, and he would always follow the herd, and always make sure that they were gathered together. And if one would go astray, he would pursue that one and would chase it back into the fold. But on, on one particular day, this, this great storm arose, and the flocks began to become frightened, and they all started to scatter in different directions. And this man tells the story that he lost 700 sheep that were not his, and they searched throughout, you know, all night long, and, and it went in every particular direction, could not find the sheep. He had to go back and tell the owner 
of all these flocks, he says, I, I have to tell you, I lost 700 sheep. He was preparing himself to face the owner. But on the way back, they came across this great chasm between these huge rocks. And he looked down and he, he, saw, he looked down and he saw the sheepdog there. And, and, and next to the sheepdog, as he looked, he got a good glance in there, 700 sheep. That sheepdog brought them to a place of safety. And they were, they were secluded and kept from any harm or danger. And every single one of them were recovered. I get the idea that God would do that for every single one of us as well. When the storms come and they try to scatter us, when things happen in our lives to try to remove us from God's flock, when difficulties come and want to overwhelm us, and again, tell us, in essence, to pick up those burdens again. Pick up fear. Pick up guilt. Pick up shame. Pick up yesterday. You know, that's when the sheepdogs say, we're here. We've been sent by God. Our names are goodness and mercy. We're never going to stop seeking you. We're never going to stop coming after you. We're never going to stop chasing you down. We will hunt you until the day that you are safely in the presence of God and you find your seat at the table. Because it's just the nature of God. To go back to that verse in the book of James, I'll say it again. God is the one with whom there is never the slightest variation or the shadow of inconsistency. You can count on him. And so words like, I am persuaded, should be in our, our, our vocabulary. Words like, I'm convinced, should be in our cap- vocabulary. Words like, it is certain. I mean, I will never forget the day after these burdens were lifted from me. And I, and I came home and I was sharing the gospel with my mother and father and all my siblings. And I got a lot of them. I got seven brothers and sisters. And my oldest sister... You know, I said to her, listen, an interesting, interesting left. Her name was Shirley, uh, Shirley. Uh, and I said, Shirley, I, I said, I want to, sh- I want to tell you about Jesus because he saved me. And she says, well, what does that mean? And I tried to explain it to her the best way I could. And, and I said to her, listen, uh, you can trust Christ and you can, you can have the, the knowledge and, and the peace and the understanding that you'll go to heaven when you leave this life. And she kind of looked at me and she said, now, she looked at me with that look, like an older sister would look at you, and say, you don't really think you're going to heaven, do you? <laughs> and, and she said, you don't, you don't believe that, do you? And I said, absolutely. And she said, you really think you're that good? And I said, oh, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm the most vile sinner that's ever walked the planet. God saved me by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with being good or bad. It has everything to do with the cross and what Christ did for me. Saved me. I am absolutely certain. She laughed. She says, how can you be? Nobody can be certain. First of all, you can't even be certain there's a heaven. I said, I'm certain there's a heaven. I'm certain that there's a God. I'm certain that there's a Savior. And I'm certain that he came to save me. And I'm certain that when I leave this life, I'm going to step into his presence. I got a seat at the table. And it's by grace through faith. She couldn't believe it. But I was, I was convinced. I was sure. Why? Because of the sure mercies of David. Count on them. Be persuaded. It's how God wants us to live. Amen? Would you pray with me? Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. There may be someone here tonight. And before we, we end the service, 
maybe it could be the beginning of a new life for you with Christ. It's so, it's so easy to be saved. Now, some people would say, oh, it's hard. No, no, no. It's easy. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Jesus bore the burden of your sin on the cross. Jesus took the hit for you. He was judged in your place. Every crime you committed, he died for. Every sin that you ever committed outwardly or in your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, he paid for. And he came for that purpose. We'll celebrate Christmas in a matter of days. But what we're really celebrating is that God stepped into our world for one purpose only, to redeem our lives, to save our souls, to give us a new life through him. If you've never made the decision to trust Christ, do it tonight. Don't walk out of these doors in our chapel tonight without knowing, being persuaded, being confident that God saved you. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Cleanse me of my sin. Save me tonight. This moment, I'm trusting you. I'm believing on you. You're the living God, and you're the giving God, and I'm receiving the gift of eternal life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you said that prayer tonight, would you just put your hand up? You're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Put it up and just put it right back down. The ushers want to give you a gift if you're making that decision here tonight. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that we can gather together in your name. And thank you for this season that we're getting ready to celebrate. It just thrills us, Lord, to know that we are the reason for the celebration of this time of year. You came into this world to save us. And we are certain that you've done it. And we are certain that once you've done it, you're never going to leave us or forsake us. And we're certain that whatever path we may take, goodness and mercy will be following us there. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.